This month, our sermon series is From Generation to Generation. And, and, and again, to me, it just seems like our sermon series have been leading up, I think, to our conference. Uh, Pastor Danny opened it up, and he talked about uh, the time is now. The time is now. Now is the time for us to be doing the will of God and what God has called us to do. He mentioned teamwork. And, and, and what a great analogy because in a team, in any given team, there's always the veterans, the seasoned vets that have been there, and then there's the rookies. And, and, and the team needs one another. Pastor Sergio was talking about last week the requirements or the responsibilities of uh, experienced leaders. And it was a challenging message, especially to those that are maybe that generation above, uh, I'm going to say myself, uh, and, and, and the next generation underneath us, because it, it really put the challenge to be preparing you and I for what God has for us, for what God has planned for us, for what God has in terms of destiny and calling upon you and I. And tonight, what I want to do is I kind of want to do a part two of that message because he challenged the younger generation. And, I, and, and okay, I'm going to say I'm in that younger generation. Amen. I mean, I'm, I'm a little up there, but, uh, you know, um, praise God, I still feel young and I still feel excited. And even though, um, you know, I'm a father and a grandfather, I still feel like, man, there's a whole lot left in, uh, in me. And I know there's people my age that can... Uh, relate to that. I've entitled this message, The New School's Duty. Someone said, can you explain the generation gap? And someone said, yeah, millennials are always on Instagram. Their parents are always on Facebook. And their grandparents are always on the landline. There's, there's always been a debate about the old school versus the new school, right? And depending on where you're at, in that age bracket, it's kind of where your bias might be. When, when I was younger, a teenager, uh, the, the music I listened to, the hip-hop, the rock, uh, it, it was, uh, for all terms and purposes, it was new school. Now, I liked my parents' uh, music, but it was called classic rock at the time, okay? And, and, and their grandparents, it was called oldies. And uh, for all intents, I, I liked the new school. You know, there was even a band called the Leaders of the New School. But I found something interesting, that eventually all the new school becomes the old school, right? Like the music, if you're in my generation, the Generation X, the music we grew up listening to, that's now classic rock. <laughs> and there's, a, a, new, there's a, a new wave of music, there's a new school, and there's always going to be the debate about which was better, the old school or the new school, the old school way of doing things or the new school way of doing things. But in the kingdom of God, there is no old school and there is no new school way of doing things. It's God's way of doing things. It's the biblical principles, the foundation upon which we built on, and it's the word of God. It's God's way of doing things. Our God is a God that transcends generations. There is no one generation that can claim an exclusivity to God. There's no one generation that can say we are the ones that, that know how to serve God uh, because he revealed himself to us. Because the truth is, is God throughout the generations reveals himself to each and every generation. The Bible says that he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
That means he's the God of our grandparents and our forefathers. But he's also the God of our children and our great and our grandchildren and great grandchildren if the Lord tarries. But he's also our God, the God of this generation right here, right now. And when I mean by this generation, I mean each and every one of us, regardless of how old we are, regardless if we're boomers or X or millennials or Ys or Zs, he's the God of this present day and age, of this generation, the now generation. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through, th one through 3, it's our uh, series text for the month. And it says this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them the children of Israel, and every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I said to Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, to be able to gather in your name, Father. We thank you for your word, Father God. Let it speak to our hearts, let it minister to us, let it challenge us and convict us and even comfort us, Father God. Father, I ask and pray, Lord, that uh, you would birth in us vision, God, a heart to do your will, Father God. That you would raise up leaders, Father God, and that, Lord, there would be a spirit of unity in the house tonight, Father God. That we would build and lift up one another, Father God, for your honor, for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. I want to say maybe 10, 15 years ago, I can't remember quite when, but I remember it was a conference that Pastor Richard was speaking about raising up the next generation. He was talking about passing the baton. And I remember Pastor Richard was preaching that. And, and what he was doing was that he was bringing direction to the leadership, to the headship, to the pastors of our fellowship. And he was saying that it's time now that uh, they begin to invest in the, in the generations that are coming up after them. And, and I've over the years been able to see that we, we've had the 180 when it was called the 180. And a lot of uh, the young men and the women that were uh, in the 180, man, they're leaders now. They're leaders now. They're, they're on the platform. Uh, they're serving in, uh, you know, in our sanctuaries. In, in every aspect of ministry, you, you could see that uh, it wasn't just speak, but there was some action. I mean, look at our platform tonight. The young adults, and, and they were leading you and I in worship. They were praising and singing, and man, what a Holy Ghost-filled uh, worship it was. And, and so you can see how God has been raising up another generation, a next generation. The next generation is the now generation. Can I tell you that? Because they're doing it now. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That good thing that was committed to you. You know, we have a good thing here. We, we are blessed in an awesome fellowship, in a very unique fellowship. I, I really believe that God has a special anointing upon our ministry, upon our leaders, upon our pastors. And what, Tim, and what Paul was telling Timothy was that good thing which was committed to you, you need to keep by the Holy Spirit. You know what we have been given, what's going to be entrusted into you and I, we need to keep by the Holy Spirit. That means we need to be in tune with God. 
That means we need to be seeking the mind of God. That means, that means that we need to be in prayer. We need to be studying the word of God. We need to know what the will of God is for our church, our ministries, those that are under us, and those that are working alongside of us. In a sense, what we're going to be called to do is called to complete the vision of the house, the vision of, of our fellowship. And it's important that when we receive that vision, that, that we absorb that vision, and we make that vision our own vision. And God will use each and every one of us, uh, our, our ideas, our input, our thoughts, and our contributions. But we got to remain true to the biblical foundations, the biblical principles of that vision. We've got to be able to adapt and, and, and say, well, maybe, you know, I have something else in mind, but the vision is this. And so how do I adapt myself to that vision? Years ago, there was this gentleman that uh, joined the sound team. Uh, I'm, I'm in the sound team. And, and uh, this was an experienced, more older individual. And, you know, he came with um, an understanding of sound and an understanding of, of the technicality behind the soundboard. And uh, I remember there was an event that we were having, and kind of at the last minute, Pastor Richard said, we're going to change directions a little bit. And, and in a sense, what he did was he kind of just threw us a curveball. Now, we had been prepared for this event. We had been prepared uh, for what was going to happen. But because of the change, we had to make some changes. There was a vision that we needed now to absorb and make it our own. And this individual had a hard time with that. He began to complain, began to murmur began to gripe, you know, this is how it was supposed to be done. And, and what I did is I said, can, can we talk real quick? I said, you're not helping. You're just kind of making things worse. I said, we've been given a direction. We need to be able to adapt and make that vision our vision. We need to be able to, to, to say, okay, maybe we weren't ready, but we'll be ready. Give us a few minutes and let us adjust and make the vision of our leader now become our vision. And this individual had a hard time with that because he had a set way of how he wanted to do something. And there's times where you and I, we might have a desire. We might feel that God is calling us to do something. And, and what God is saying, yes, I've called you. And yes, it's a vision that I'm placing in your heart. But right now, your vision is to back up the vision of your leader, the vision of your pastor. It's to get behind that vision. See, one thing that when I was um, listening to Pastor Sergio last week, and he was uh, talking about when our leadership pastors, our senior pastors, when they were all new converts, and they were coming in and they formed the band, and they inherited this church, um, this building. And what they were doing is they didn't realize it at the time, but they were building a ministry. They were building a church. They were building a fellowship, a fellowship that you and I are blessed to be a part of, you know. And what struck me was is that these men had invested their lives into this ministry. They've invested their lives, their families, their careers. Everything was to build the kingdom of God. I, I got saved when I was 19 years old, and now I'm in my 40s. I met my wife here 
My children have been raised here. I have a daughter that just graduated from the school here. And, and, and you, know, you know what made it easy for me to put my life into this? Was the examples that I seen before me. Was the example of the men and women, the pastors and leaders that said, this is my life. It's just not just something I do on Wednesdays or Sundays, but this is my life. And there's going to come a time that our leadership is going to pass that baton and entrust us with their life's work. I like what um, Dale Burke, he's the author of Less is More. He says, nothing feels better than seeing a vision that you helped birth be passed on into capable hands of others. As a leader, you must be willing to let go. Can I tell you that there's a challenge, though? And the challenge isn't with our headship releasing and letting it go. The challenge is with you and I. Are we those capable hands? Are we ready to receive it? Are we ready to be able to take um, the reins, the batons that they say, and continue to go forward and continue to excel and continue to move the kingdom of God and further it and advance it? Are we those capable hands, you and I, the new school? See, our headship understands that leadership is meant to be transferred. We see that in, in the story with Moses and Joshua. What was produced in Moses, he reproduced in Joshua. In the book of Exodus, chapter 24, 12 and 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Here you see Moses and it's this awesome relationship that he had with God. And he takes this young man, Joshua, and he makes him his assistant. And so when Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, uh, the foundation of our morality, he takes his assistant with him. And he was producing something in Joshua. Joshua was with them in Egypt. Joshua was, was with them when they crossed the Red Sea. Joshua was uh, one of the ten spies that said, we can take this land. And, and Joshua was the one that led the people into the promised land. But what Joshua failed to do is he failed to reproduce in him in someone else what was produced in him. See, it doesn't end with you and I. It, the Lord tarries, it doesn't end with you and I. When we are 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 come into a place of leadership and come into a place of 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 um authority, you, you know, we got to be working with those that are coming up underneath us. And we got to be instilling into them what's been instilled into us. Someone said that Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Yes and no. I, I really believe that God always leaves a remnant. That he'll always leave a remnant of of Bible-believing, of, of Holy Ghost-filled individuals to carry on the work and, and to uh, continue to be a witness and a testimony unto God. He always leave a, a, a remnant of individuals who have his mind and have his heart. But I do think sometimes that maybe biblical, authentic biblical Christianity faces a danger. Faces a danger. 
what is biblical, authentic biblical Christianity? Being submitted to Jesus Christ. Just remembering that he's the head and we're the body. That, that he is our Lord. That he is our God. And that we're here to serve him. And to be doing his will and not the other way around. Following the example that, that he set. In the book of John, chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, and he took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Let's jump down to verse 12. He says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What was Jesus doing here? He was giving his disciples an example. Here's Jesus. And he's saying, you call me Lord, you call me teacher. He's king of kings and he's Lord of lords, right? He's, he's Jesus. And in an act of humility, he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. I don't know about you, but I don't like feet. And he begins to wash those feet. And once he's done, he tells them, do you understand what I just did? He begins to break it down. He says, you need to be doing the same thing. Because keep in mind, Jesus was going to be crucified. He was going to be resurrected. And he was going to go back to be with the Father. And his disciples were going to be in charge of establishing and building his church on earth. His disciples were going to be in a place of leadership. His disciples were going to be in a place of authority. His disciples were going to be in a place of esteem. People were going to hear the words that the disciples were going to speak. And they were going to begin to follow Jesus as they followed the disciples. The disciples were going to be apostles. They were going to be the heads. They were going to be the authority. And Jesus understood, and he said, these people are going to come to you, and you need to learn how to be a servant to them. You need to learn how to serve them. You need to learn how to be able to get down and and, in humility serve these individuals that are going to be coming to you, looking up to you, esteeming you, wanting to serve God because of you. You need to learn how to serve these people. We need to learn how to serve the children in the house of God. Before we can be a servant leader, uh, we need to be servant followers. In, in the world, so often when people come into a place of authority, you could see it sometimes. They're like, oh, yeah, things are changing now. I'm in charge. Things are going to be different. You know? And you find that uh, that one in charge starts doing less, and he starts putting more on those that are under him. It's not like that in the kingdom of God. When you're risen up to a place of 
leadership and a place of, of authority, there's more responsibility on you. There's more accountability and there's more expectations on you. I like what uh, Terry Nance, he's the author of God's Armor Bearer. If you're a leader, I recommend that you read that book. I think at one time it was required reading for every leader here. God's Armor Bearer. He said, you and I will never flow in the anointing of Elisha until we have learned to serve an Elijah. Always remember this. God will never establish you as an authority until you have first learned to submit to authority. And he gives the examples of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was going to be Elijah's successor, but before he was a, a, a successor, Elijah was a servant. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 19 through 21, uh, God speaks to Elijah, and he says, I want you to anoint the king of Syria, I want you to anoint the king of Israel, and I want you to anoint Elisha, your successor, the one who's going to take your place, he said. And so Elijah went and he found Elisha, son of uh, Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, and he threw his cloak or his mantle across his shoulders, and then he walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go kiss my father and my mother goodbye. And then I will go with you. And so Elisha, re, uh, excuse me, Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. And so Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. And he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Here God speaks to the prophet Elijah, and he says, go anoint your successor. Go anoint the one that's going to take your spot. And so when he goes and he finds Elisha, it's interesting that he found Elisha plowing the field. He was working. He found his successor working the field. Can I tell you, if you feel a call of God upon your life, if you feel like God wants to use you in a mighty way, Get to work in the house of God. There are so many ministries in this body that need help. From the rangers to the impact to the media team to the ushers to you name it. And Elijah found his successor working. He didn't find them. He's saying like, hey, you know what? Uh, I want to be your successor, and I want to be your disciple. Let me know. He, Elisha wasn't doing any of that. He was just working. He was working, and God took notice of that, and he told Elijah, that's the man I want to succeed you. Elijah, when he saw him, he threw his cloak or his mantle over Elisha, and that mantle was a covering that represented a calling to service, an anointing a sanctification and covenant relationship with God, but it also represented Elijah's prophetic authority and the office that he held as a prophet. And so when Elijah threw his mantle over Elisha, and Elisha said, let me go tell my mother and father goodbye, Elijah was saying, 
think about what I just did. He understood the significance of that. He understood the significance that he, when he put his mantle over him, Elisha knew right away he was being called to something else besides plowing a field. He was being called to service under the man of God. He was being called to another level in his walk with God. And so he forsook it all. He, he, he destroyed his plow. He made an altar. He used the, plow, the wood from the plow to, uh, um, when he killed the calves, when he killed the cattle, he used it as, a, as, a, as that altar. And he just said, here it is, man. I'm leaving all my ties behind. I'm going to just, everything that I had planned with this field and everything that I had planned for my life, I'm leaving it behind because the man of God just called me. Because God is calling me to something greater. And God is calling me to something bigger. And I think there's going to be a time in all our lives where we're just going to have to make a decision to say, what do I want? Do I want the world? Do I want everything that the world has to offer? Do I want everything that the world says is gain? Or do I just want to be in the will of God? Do I just want to be serving God? Do I just want to be in the house of God? The commentator said that the first stage of Elisha's new call is to be a follower and a servant, a disciple, as it were, of this holy man. Elisha will later be described as the man who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Elisha was a servant. Uh, we see in the life of Paul and Timothy what Paul was imparting into Timothy. Timothy's responsibility was to carry on that vision. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 10 and 15, it says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. Down in verse 14, he says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He told Timothy, but you must continue. You must continue. And that is the duty of, of every disciple, of every learner. Every follower is to continue in what we've been taught, is to continue in what we've been, what's been imparted into our lives. These three individuals, Joshua, Elisha, Timothy, every single one of them understood that their destiny was tied to the man of God that they served under. Their call, their destiny, their future was tied to their leader, to their pastor. We need a teachable spirit. I, I used to have a boss, and he would tell me, take notes. Take notes. He'd give me a, a tablet, not a, you know, a new tablet like what we're used to. He'd give me a pen and paper, basically. And he'd say, take notes. When you go with me on a job, take notes. We need to take note. You know, do we see our pastor in prayer? Do we see our leader in prayer? We need to be in prayer. Do we, do we see our pastor studying the word of God, our leader studying the word of God? We need to study our word, the word of God. Do we see our, our, our pastor and our leader giving and serving and working? Then we need to be giving and serving and working. Take a note. My, my ex-boss, um, you know, he'd give us those notepads and he'd say, take these notes, man. And... Um, and he'd start telling you, this is the job, this is the layout, we're going to do this, that, and the other. 
and then he turned to see if you were taking notes. And he hired this gentleman one time, and this guy knew everything because he didn't have to take notes. And the boss said, be careful with this. Okay, be careful with this piece of equipment. We were doing a job at the Renaissance Hotel over by LAX. And the, the guy was um, not careful, and he took out, like, the whole phone lines to the whole um, hotel. And we didn't have cell phones then, okay? He did a couple other things that ended up costing the boss a lot of money and eventually cost him his job. But what this individual didn't understand was that to him, that was just a job. But to our boss, that job was his name. It was his reputation. It was everything that he had been building. And he was entrusting us as workers to make sure that we lived up to his name and his reputation of service. We need to listen to wisdom. We need to listen to the wisdom of those that are uh, above us, been around for a while, that are over us. Their ways aren't outdated, okay? There's experience, tried and true wisdom there. In the book of 1 Kings 12, 1 through 14, there's the story of Rehoboam. He was the son of Solomon, and, and he was uh, the next king in line. And, you know, the, the people came up to him, and they said, you know, can you ease up on us? Your father was a hard taskmaster. And if you ease up on us, I'm paraphrasing, if you ease up on us, uh, we'll be your loyal subjects. We'll be behind you 100%. And, and what the young king did is, the Bible says that he just disregarded the advice of the older individuals. And he went to his friends and he says, what do you think I should do? And his friends said, you make it double hard. You tell them that my finger, the weight of my finger is greater than the waist of my father. If my father whipped you, I'm going to whip you with scorpions. And you let them know that we're going to be harder of a taskmaster. And he followed that advice. And what he failed to realize that if he would have just served the people, if he would have just gotten behind and served the people, the people would have done anything for him. They would have been behind him. They would have been supporting him. They would have been building him up, and they would have been right there for him. But what happened was the people rebelled, and they did not recognize his kingship. They did not recognize his authority. In verse 19, it says, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day because of one man's decision to go against the wisdom of those that came before him. Can't forget that we serve the people of God. Last week, Pastor Sergio was given the illustration of a relay race and passing the baton. A great illustration that I'm going to, so great, Pastor, I'm going to use it as well. This is uh, Dr. Miles Monroe. He was a, he wrote a, an author, he wrote a lot of books about leadership. It says, before he died, he had a dream in which he saw an athlete lying in a coffin clutching a baton. The meaning was that people die holding a baton instead of passing it on. You know, batons are meant to be passed on. But when a baton is passed, it's also meant to be uh, grabbed and a sure grip needs to be upon it. And one of the things that relay teams do is that they practice 
that handoff. Practice passing it and receiving it. They practice and they practice and they practice and they practice. Now, Pastor Sergio talked about that, that zone that they have, that limited zone, that limited time in which they're able to pass the baton. But what also goes on is that both runners are in the same lane. And what they do is they split the lane. The one receiving it, he's on one side of the lane, and the one passing it, he's on the other side of the lane. And the reason is so that their, their shoulders are in line with one another. So that when the one receiving it is running and he's at his full speed, all he has to do is reach back. And the one behind him makes it easy on him, the one passing it, because he doesn't have to go across his chest. He doesn't have to switch from one hand to the other. All he has to do is put it right there. And they're both in line and they're both in tune and they're both in unity with one another. And they pass and they practice and they practice and they practice. And the revelation I got is that the one receiving, he's not starting at a dead stop. He's already running. He's already been practicing and he's already in line with the one that's passing it to him so that when the baton comes to him, it's effortless. It's seamless. He's already running. He's already get, getting to that point where he's going to reach his maximum stride. The other one doesn't have to pass him up or, or, or slow down. He continues to keep running. And so when he receives that baton, he can continue in that race. And that's what it is that when we get under a leader and we get under our pastor and we're serving, and this becomes our nature to pray, to read, to fast, to study, to serve. But when the baton is passed, there is no hiccup. There is no stutter step. It's just a smooth transition, and the fellowship continues moving forward. It continues to move without pause. The only thing that does not stop in a relay race is the baton. Because the one that passes it, eventually he slows down. The only thing in that relay race that does not stop is the baton. It's the, the race isn't even about the runners. It's about the baton. It's about the baton getting across that finish line. Quickly here, Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. It says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Why? So that you may have success wherever you go. If we're going to be successful as a fellowship, if we're going to be successful as the new school of leaders, we can't turn to the left or to the right. We got to continue to go forward and continue to do that thing that which we have been taught. We have duties, responsibilities, and expectations. In John 14, 12, Jesus was saying, greater things shall you do. Greater things. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Man, last, last, last um, Wednesday, after the message, there was a prophecy, and the prophecy was pretty powerful. And what that prophecy was saying was uh, how much more wisdom that that generation that crossed over into the promised land would have had if the previous generation went with them. If that previous generation went with them, how much wisdom Joshua and his, uh, and his staff and his leaders could have had 
if they would have crossed over with them. God never intended for us to, to be doing this by ourselves. We need one another. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.9 that we are a chosen generation. We're that, that generation right here, right now. If Jesus comes back and we're the last generation, then we're the generation that has the responsibility of getting that word out. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said. God never intended his people to be ordinary or commonplace. His intentions are that they should be on fire for him. Conscious of his divine power, realizing the glory of the cross that foreshadows the crown. Church, we're all part of this now generation. It's like Pastor Danny said, now is the time. It's, it's not about the next, like it's the next generation in terms of like when that happens in the far future. It's now. The next generation is now. What we're doing is now. What we got to be right now is the influence in the world right now. We've got to be the influence, not the other way around. Not the world influencing us, but we're influencing the world. Being radical for the things of God. That was a, man, when I was a, a new convert, that's what you, we heard constantly. Be radical for Christ. Be radical for God. You know, be sold out for God. And, and that was just a, 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 man, it would stir me and it would excite me because I was radical in the world. The things I did in the world was so dumb. The running around on freeways in the middle of the night, scribing my name up on the wall, dumb. I wanted to be crazy for Jesus. I wanted to be radical for Jesus. I wanted to be fearless for Jesus. <laughs> lastly, we need to be the example 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, let no one despise your youth, and I'm young, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. If we can have the worship team come up. You know, every generation has its season. Every generation has, I believe, a, a call specific to them. Every generation has the hand of God upon them and, and to carry out a, a mission for that specific time. Our, our leadership, our senior pastors, our, our leadership pastors, uh, they got saved during this revival called the Jesus Movement. You know, where, just like Pastor Sergio was said, uh, the only blueprint that they had was the word of God and a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And that hunger and that thirst for the things of God led them to want to just continue to go forward and exceed and build for the things of God. It wasn't just a, a complacency that, okay, I'm saved. I'm no longer doing the things I once did. But just that excitement and that hunger to continue to advance and to continue to go forward. Can I say that uh, I'm hungry for a revival? I'm hungry for a move of God. I'm hungry to see God move. I've got coworkers that need Jesus. I got family members that need Jesus. I got friends and relatives that need Jesus. And if they're gonna be reached, it's gonna be in a revival and a revival that starts in prayer 
in a revival that starts in you and I, the now generation, the next generation, right here, right now, being at the altar and seeking God and saying, God, pour out your spirit. Let there be a revival and let it start with me, God. Move, God. Uh, you've moved in times past. Don't be silent, God, but continue to move and continue to move. That's our responsibility, church, because the Jesus movement revival, it came and it's gone. We're the fruit of it. But we need our own revival. We need a revival in a world that's doing everything possible to remove God from its society. And instead of us just going along with it and saying, hey, it's just a sign of the times, just those things happening, that's horrible, good is bad, and bad is good, and how about we just stand in that gap and stand in that gap and seeking God and saying that's not the way it should be. It's a way that ends in destruction and death, but God's way is a blessing, and God's way leads to that abundant life. Because even if times change, the word of God doesn't change. And the need for individuals to have a relationship with God does not change. One last quote. The secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. It is an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. God was and is looking for hungry and thirsty people.